Hey, welcome everyone to episode 27 of Today in the Scene. I'm Joe with Indie Arcade Wave, and this is my co host Dylan from Galactic Battleground. Hey, what's up? This week, we're going to dive into an arcade in New Orleans called Sea Cave. This arcade is, uh, it's got an awesome story as well as plans for the future. It's like finding tro- lost treasure in New Orleans. Um, I just wanted to welcome the owner here, Judah Lee. How are you doing hey, today? How's it going? Glad Good. Be. Yeah, glad you could make it. Um, we've been chatting a little while. Um, Mark introduced us, and I'm, I'm glad we were finally able to get on here. Yeah, yeah. Shout out to Mark. Thanks for, thanks for that. <laughs> yeah, shout out Wonderville and uh, Death by Audio Arcade there. Um, I just want to jump right into your story. Tell me a little bit about yourself and how you got into the arcade scene. Uh, so my name's Judah, which you just said, I guess. Uh, I'm yeah in New Orleans. Uh, I how did I get in arcades? I, you know, my my earliest arcade game memories are Street Fighter cabinets and corner stores. That's that's really where I got started. Yeah, you know, and like there's a lot of personal memories there. I I grew up uh, in an all black neighborhood here back in like the '80s. And, you know, being the only white kid in all black neighborhood can be rough, understandably. Uh, one of the first moments I can remember in my early young life where, like, I was getting the neighborhood kids respect was I was good at Street Fighter. <laughs> and you would save up your corner quarters and you'd go into the corner store and you'd play Street Fighter against the neighborhood kids. And, you know, like, if you could win, you were, you were cool, you know, and I was good at it and I would win. So... That's really my my first arcade experience was actually not in an arcade, but like going to like the bodega and with quarters I had saved up and playing Street Fighter against the kids, you know, and then like going on. And Street Fighter was a good game to start at in arcades because if you got good at it, you could sit on it all day, you know, and just play people. So that's that's really where I started. You know, it's just playing Street Fighter against the neighborhood kids, you know. Yeah, right on. Um, For like, what is the arcade scene like in New Orleans in regards to like, I know you had Street Fighter, but like, what is it like? Is there any other ones or just you? Right. It's right now there's a place called Barcadia. It's more of like a classic arcade. Uh, it's, I think something, Bark, it's some, I don't know how I say this nicely. Uh, the games aren't in good condition. I think the games are kind of an afterthought in that place. It's more of like a, just a, a party spot in the CBD, the central business district. We call it the CBD here. Uh, a lot of like a uh, raver nightclub emphasis over like video games in that place. Uh, back in the day when I was growing up younger, there used to be multiple arcades. There used to be a place called Fun Arcade. There used to be a place uh, right off Canal Street near Bourbon Street in the French Quarter, which is the one I went to all the time. It was called Pennyland, you know. And then sometime like maybe three or four years after Katrina, they they closed, and then there was nothing. And then Barcadia showed up. And then they've pretty much been it till we showed up, you know? So I would say it's been dead for a minute. It's, it's starting to come back, you know? Um, but back in the day, it was definitely, at least during my period there, Pennyland, Pennyland actually is an interesting story. It's one of the oldest arcades in the country. It was one of the first ones. And it was like one of those places where like they would have the like BB gun shooting ranges, and you'd like put the penny in, you know, and you'd get like 10 shots with a BB gun. You'd shoot like little tin ducks and stuff as they like went by. And then would later became like more of an arcade of like what we know arcades to be. Uh, by the time I was hanging out there, it was a really shady place. <laughs> I remember the first thing you would see was you would a, a big sign in the door that said like no hats and no white t-shirts. You know, like 
because of like, gang stuff. Like, yeah. <laughs> Dress code for an arcade. <laughs> yeah. And, and like, and because you got to understand, like, it's, it's right off of Urban Street in the French Quarter and Canal, you know, which is just like where all the hustlers were hanging out back then and stuff. Um, but man, it's like where all the good Street Fighter players went. So, you know, I could catch a bus there. And this, and this was around like, this was around like Street Fighter 3 Third Strike time, you know, like kind of like really like the, the, the end golden age of arcade Street Fighter. And yeah, I would, I would, I had a friend who worked at a bar and I would, this is 17, I'm 17. And I would, I would save up some money <laughs> and I would catch the bus to Canal Street from my mom's house. And I would go and play like some Street Fighter games. And then I would go to the bar and drink for free at the bar because my friend was bar back then. And then I would go back to the arcade, a little more drunk, and play some Street Fighter games and then catch the bus home. That was like kind of like my routine end of junior into senior year of high school. <laughs> <laughs> and then I went away to Chicago to go to college and then uh, came back. Katrina happened, lived in L.A. for a little while, came back again, and they were all gone, you know. And it was just everybody was playing Street Fighter and stuff online. And there just wasn't a place to go to anymore, you know. And uh bothered me for a minute. And then I sort of became a DJ and did, you know, the DJ party scene thing. And then I got tired of partying all the time, but wanted to, like, have a space, a social space that did require you to party so much, you know, that you could go to your friend. And I was like, man, well, what was that space back in the day? Like, I, I knew I had something else. And then I remembered, oh, yeah, it was the arcade, you know. And that's really like where I started the arcade, you know, sort of like trying to be like, yeah, this, this, my, my hometown needs that space back, you know, because if if you've ever been to New Orleans, but like bars don't close here, you know, they stay open all night, 24 seven. And you can take liquor and stuff onto the street. Like it's very much a drinking town. So, so much of the nightlife is bent towards like that kind of mentality and like, well, what are we doing tonight? Well, let's go see this band at this bar or like, let's go to this dot bar, you know, and it's pretty, or let's go to this restaurant, you know, and it's pretty much all it was here. And I'm just like, no, like people should be able to say, let's go play some games, you know, or something like that. Well, and then in come you and you start to bring back that arcade scene. So I want to know how did uh, Sea Cave start? Uh, were you more of like a game collector first or did the games come after no. the idea or? Uh, I'm an artist. I'm not a collector. I mean, I guess I'm a collector in that like I collect things to put in the cave, you know? So like, like if I find something that's like aquatic or fish related on the street, like I grab it up really quick <laughs> and it goes into the arcade, you know? Um, it started with me buying uh, an old rundown cabinet that was housing a shinobi board at the time that hadn't worked for months that was sitting in the back of this nightclub called siberia that i had dj'd out of a lot (coughs) and um literally googled cheapest way to build an arcade cabinet and this was right in the beginning of like the raspberry pi thing you know and spent the next year figuring out how to dumb down the raspberry Pis so that they could actually be like an arcade machine you know because like one of the things about arcade machines is there's an experience to an arcade machine that that like you don't find in like an emulate like yeah the coin button thing and all that's there but there's so many things built into emulators and stuff that like aren't 
arcade there, you know? So like the idea to like record or speed it up or take a screenshot or like, you know, like it was, it was a period of like steadily learning how to remove all of these things and making it a process where people would come in and walk up to the cabinet and like not get stuck in like an option screen, you know, or something like they pick their game, play their game, leave the game to play another game. And like, that's it, you know? And then, so that's, so I start, so the first one I built was a Neo Geo, basically, you know, I always wanted a Neo Geo. I always wanted to be able to play like Carew and Metal Slug and stuff. And it just, if you're a kid my age, when like the Neo Geos came out, I mean, that was like, you had to be a trust fund kid to have one of those things back in like the nineties. They were insanely expensive. I think it was like back when they came out, they were like a thousand dollars, you know, because they, they run the same exact hardware as the arcade cabinet. Um, so yeah, it just, I never got to play on one except for in the arcade. So that was like the first one I built. And then I found a couple of more cabinets around town and, you know, instead of building like this all-in-one super main machine that just has like the spaceship controller for a control panel with like a million buttons and like a trackball and stuff on it, you know, I, I started working with the idea of like, okay, well, let's let's build a cabinet that's single-player vertical screen, you know, and then we'll go find another cabinet and we'll make it single-player horizontal screen, and then we'll go out and we'll find a four-player cabinet, and that's the four-player games, right, and then we'll go out we'll find a street fighter cabinet with like the two player six button setups. And then that's going to be the fighting game cabinet, you know? And like, so basically taking this thing and like splitting it up into eight different things, you know? And that's really like how I started with the layout on it. And then it was really just the process of letting people in and watching what happened and then, you know, making a note and being like, okay, now I need to go and remove that you know, because that's just unnecessary to the arcade experience and it's getting in the way, you know? And so it was about a year of that. And then it, and about when I first started, it was called the video drone because I was doing a lot of like uh, VHS based CRT television video art at the time. So I had all these old CRT televisions sitting around and I was, you know, making TV walls and playing weird VHS on them and stuff. And then was sort of like, okay, that's cool if, like, you're, like, an old punk rocker or something, you know? <laughs> but, like, it's kind of, you know, it's a Cronenberg film. It's kind of weird referencing point for, <laughs> for, like, an arcade aesthetic. And uh, I came up with the I idea think your mic just cut out. at CK uh, because oh, uh, one no, of my dude. friends, a guy I DJed for a long time, this guy Quintron, uh, totally gone. throws this, he has a speakeasy nightclub venue in his basement here that he'll do shows out of every once in a while. And one of the shows is this big Mardi Gras party called the Maritime Ball. And you're supposed to dress up in like an aquatic costume to show up to it. And so I'd been doing that party for about three, four years. And I had all these like leftover plastic fish. What was the and name of that party? Uh, the Maritime Ball. Who who ran that? Quintron. Quintron, okay. Yeah, Quintron and Miss Pussycat. They're, they're musicians from down here on uh, Ghana Records. Um, but... Uh, I had all these plastic fish, you know, and like, like a broom handle that had been made to look like a Poseidon trident and stuff like that. Right. So I did, I used them all to decorate this art studio that I was building the arcade in and called it underwater arcade one night. And then at some point the, 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 the term sea cave arcade just like popped into my head and it kind of became sea cave from there. And then from there, I realized that like, 
there's aren't really underwater themed arcades ever anywhere. Yeah, I've never heard history. of one. Never heard of one myself either. And like Google didn't couldn't find it. And then like there's a lot of like black what black light arcade accessories and stuff. <laughs> yeah, you know, like like black light fish tanks are a thing. And you know, they all have these plastic plants and all these crazy things you can buy to make so I was like, well, you can really make like a black light arcade that's underwater, you know, and I just kind of started running with that. So it was, you know, buying a lot of fishnet and, you know, buying a lot of plastic aquarium plants. You know, I, I found a paper mache seahorse on the sidewalk one time. That was a big score. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm down here by the river, so it's, it's easy for me to go down to the riverbank and pick up driftwood and stuff like that. So it, it, I started just assembling this space and building these arcade cabinets and, and these two art studio spaces before I met my first business partner and we opened up uh, five days a week uh, across the street from this bar down here called Bud Rips. And then we met our third business partner and now we, uh, we're, we're moving into a 3000 square foot space and we're like building a kitchen and a bar and stuff and, so I feel like I'm really fortunate. Like I know there's a lot of people out there who put like a lot of money into it up front and it goes nowhere. And then like three or four years it's over, you know? And I feel really fortunate because like I've, I'm broke. I've always been broke. I'm not a rich guy. Uh, and I started literally building this space. on like $60 junker. Nobody can save this thing. Arcade cabinets. And I've like gotten it up to the point where, like we're going to do all right and just live in the dream. I, you know, in a way, so, you know, I don't want to jinx myself. So I feel nervous saying this, but, but yeah, I feel fortunate, you know, it's hard work. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It always is running an arcade, you know? Yeah. It's, it's, you, you usually, I find people usually have a really dedicated fan base that will support them to the best of their ability through thick and thin, you know? Yeah. And, but it's, it's, if, if you're in a place where like arcades haven't existed for a minute, like you're, you're, you're basically trying to like reintroduce people to this idea that like a lot of them forgot about. You yeah. Know? Like there's so many people I've seen that they're like, Oh fuck, like an arcade, you know, we, we call them draggers. So like, like we were, we were, we were on a block with, <laughs> with the restaurants and like, uh, you know, a hipster bar across the street. We had these big plate glass windows. So I can't tell you how many times I would see like groups of people like walk by the plate glass window and one or two of them would look and be like, Oh, Whoa, you know, and stop. And then like the other ones who weren't interested, like literally dragging them away, you know? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so it's, it, you know, it's, it's, it's a funny sell in like a lot of ways. It's, it's just a funny business, yeah. you know, but it's, it's, it's full of great people. And I think it's like, it's hit this interesting space where like, it, it belongs to the maker community now almost, you know, in a way to me, because like the industry has, has just has no interest in making new like arcade games. Yeah. Know? In regards so to a, like the new scenes, um, what got you involved with the indie arcades or like indie games in general? So for me, I think the first, and like this never happened, but like the first game I played on like Steam for a minute and I was like, man, this would be amazing in an arcade game cabinet was a game called crawl, which was out of Australia, uh, made by two guys in Australia. And it's basically one versus all, uh, gauntlet, right? Like one person starts off as the human 
And then the other three players are ghosts and they control the traps and the monsters in the room as the human wanders around looking for treasure and keys and stuff like that. And the one, the ghost that gets the killing blow on a human then becomes the human. And it's just this like really great round robin game. You know, and I was playing it and it's just like two buttons, eight way joystick. And I was like, man, this is an arcade game, you know? And then it just started like looking, I spent, and this is in the first year of the arcade. And then I just started looking for other indie games that I was like, man, this would work in an arcade cabinet. You know, if you did this or this, 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 you, this could totally be an arcade game. And then started writing some of these guys. Like I wrote the guys from Crawl and they got back and they were like, well, just tell me, you know, what you need from us. And I was like, well, honestly, I don't know yet. Give me some time, you know. And then like a year or so went by and, you know, I kind of realized like what they were going to need from me was some money. And I just didn't have that at the moment. So, you know, I kind of had to step back from some of that stuff. But, you know, from Crawl, it went to like Super Slam Dunk Touchdown, which is, you know, a great mix of a sports game. Uh, yeah, we talked to Rick about Queen. that one. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Killer Queen, obviously. Um, what, what's, what's the one? I think you guys just did an interview with this guy, too, where the dog is your co-pilot and you're in the plane. The shooter, the side scrolling. Oh, you're talking about uh, Sky Cursor? Yeah, yeah, Sky Cursor. I had a friend who who built an arcade in like part of his music studio space here, and he had Sky Cursor on a Neo Geo, and I had played that, and I was like, "Oh, that's fucking awesome!" Like, you know, said somebody made this pixel arcade, you know, that's like an arcade game, like a good arcade game, you know, and that's really kind of like some of my first instances of like, "Oh, this exists," you know. And then one of my musicians' friends told me about DBA Arcade. You know, and I just started following DBA Arcade and which would become Wonderville. And then I met Mark playing Killer Queen Black during the quarantine. <laughs> like, you know, because I knew I knew the guy who ran Wonderville's name was Mark Cleep, you know, and then I'm on Killer Queen Black one night and I'm playing with this guy who's named Cleep. Yeah. <laughs> In, in the game. So I, I send Wonderville on Instagram messages, you know, from like my, my arcade page being like, I think we're playing queen together, you know? And I'm like, yeah. And that's how we got started talking. And yeah. And then he, you know, put me in on the Wonderville discord and then he brought me into your guys's discord and, and then now we've met each other and he's, he's been really great. You know, uh, I think he's got a soft spot for new Orleans. He's got a lot of friends down here. You know, like a lot of people who used to like make the pedals and stuff and DBA like came down here after DBA closed down. So there's there's definitely like a relationship there. But uh but yeah, yeah. Sorry, I went on a ramble there. My bad. <laughs> no, so along the same lines, um with, with talking to Mark and kind of getting your feet wet, like looking into the indie scene, you mentioned before the interview, something about your plans for helping the indie scene in new Orleans, yeah. like become a thing. Uh, yeah. What are your plans there? Well, I did, I think in any instance, wherever you are, the, the, the initial plan has to be to like, you know, if you, if you build it, they will come, you know, kind of this, this field of dreams mentality. Right. Uh, so, you know, our first thing is to like provide a space and like take some of our space and start dedicating it to that, you know, and because there's more and more, I mean, I don't know, my experience growing up here, like wanting to make video games was just something that you didn't do here. You know, like you had to go somewhere else to do that for a living or even for school for it, you know. And I, and I think like in a lot of places around the country, like the state government here is trying to court that industry, you know, with tax incentives and stuff. So you're starting to see companies like in exile and stuff like 
which I think is like a division of obsidian or something, um, move down here. So there's actual, so it's growing, you know, um, there's, and a couple of, you know, and I run this weirdo art space into arcade. So like, you know, they come through my door, you know, like Masta Flames. So I started meeting some of these guys in particular, this one guy named Calder who's really great. Uh, he's been, he was one of the first people to discover my arcade and it's like first rendition and he's come ever since for a long, long time now. And I love the guy Calder. If you ever hear this, love you, buddy. Um, he's the guy who's actually hosting the game jam for us. You know, he's, he's very much more, well, he is a game designer by trade, you know, and more tapped into that community. And I just think that like, he would be more suited to running that and promoting that than I would. I'm, I'm kind of the guy who built the arcade. He's a guy who builds the games, you know? So he's, he's hosting that and we're working with the NOLA indie game dev community, which is like a group of people who I don't know how long they've been around. I want to say five years at least, uh, who, you know, they have a monthly meetup and they all know each other. And these are all, some of these people are people who work for an exile. Some of these people are just indie developers. And I think really the start is to just like, we bought this cabinet, uh, we're host going to host these events and we just want to like, give them the space to like, try to make a simple arcade game and we'll help you test it out. You know? And like, we, like the one thing we can get you right now because we're, we're getting, you know, in our last month of getting the opening home. So we're kind of strapped for cash. But the one thing we can offer you is like a playtesting space, you know, like you can make this game and we will host it and people will come through the door and they will play it, you know, and like we can, they and we can offer you feedback, you know, and like what might make this game work better or, or it's glitching out here or, you know, these, these controls feel awkward because of this, you know, kind of thing. So that's really where we're starting, you know, and then, and it, as far as I know, like we're the, not the first people to host a game jam in new Orleans, but like the first people to like, kind of start promoting this idea of like, well, have you ever considered making an arcade game? You know, not just like an indie title for itch.io or steam or something, you know, but have you thought about making something that goes into a cabinet? Yeah. I mean, you got to just give them a place to create and show yeah. it off. I mean, as, developers ourselves i mean it's we've gotten so much good feedback from people at conventions and whatnot and yeah. the biggest reason we actually put it in a cabinet was a local arcade said yeah you could show it off here yeah and and then you know and, I, and i'll speak to this from like trying to like trying and failing to retrofit indie games into an arcade cabinet is that like you know like making an arcade cabinet game is sort of like you have to rediscover these really simple things that people have seemingly forgot about because we're just so used to playing things on consoles now. Right. Like, like, yeah, everything's like, online. Like, yeah. Or just like, just the idea of an option screen, you know, like that doesn't exist in an arcade game. You know, there's no, there's no way for the player to go in and adjust the difficulty setting or the volume settings, you know, when they're playing an arcade game that no, you don't do any of that. Like that, that goes into what's called a service mode screen that's hidden behind a button behind a lock inside the cabinet, you know, and it's there for the arcade operator to change things, not the players, you know, like one of the, like one of the big things about like trying to get these indie games into a cabinet is like having no money and trying to write them and be like, Hey, can you get rid of this and this and then reprogram it to this so that I can put it in this and oh, and I have nothing for you right now. I'm like, I don't want to have that conversation with these guys, you know, like, <laughs> but like it's, it's when you're talking about building an arcade cabinet game, you have to think about those things. Like you have to think about the walking up 
standing experience of the person. Like, it's not just a game, it's a piece of furniture in a weird way, you know? Like, so you're you're thinking about all of these actual, like, real-world, real-space interactions that, like, you wouldn't think of if, like, somebody was just downloading your game and playing it on their computer with their favorite controller, you know? Like, it, so, yeah, there's... Like one of the, one of the favorite stories I think is like listening to the, like listening to the Killer Queen guys talk about how like uh, it, it didn't occur to them that like the cabinets had to be a certain height, otherwise people who were buying them could not get them inside their establishments. You know. Yeah, so, we made that mistake with our prototype. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah. So like nobody nobody's around to tell you that though. You know, like these used these this used to be like industry know how. Like any you know like anybody at Bally's or somebody would have yeah anybody at Bally's would have been like oh it's too tall. You know, right. like there's nobody around to nobody nobody around to tell you that anymore. You know, yeah. Even yeah. you mentioning like the the interactions with the cabinet in the game. Like we spent so much time. We what do we what do we have now? Like six or seven uh, iterations of our UI screen. Like yeah. we just keep yeah. changing it. And yeah. like luckily, like when I work, I worked at a bar called Can Can Wonderland, and I'd watch it for two and a half years, watching people be confused on how to start yeah. the game, and yeah. I had to like figure out what was the best you know way to go see, about that you know see for me like in a, like the the couple of indie game as i've talked to like they, they have all these ideas about you know oh the player can adjust this this and i like i keep trying to tell them like dumb it down like <laughs> dumb it down like the player just wants to be able to walk up and play you know they don't want to have to think about all this other shit like they want to walk up and be like oh well, what's this game about hit start and play it you know, like that's what the experience is on a cabinet. I mean, if you take out to like insert a quarter part, you know, yeah. and like it's 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 almost like writing a good haiku almost, you know, where it's like it's really simple and it follows this really simple format, you know. But like once you start adding on to the format, it's not that thing. And it's not a haiku anymore, you know, right? Like it, it starts. So, yeah, I, I always always preach about how like sim- simplicity, especially when it comes to the UI and stuff, is key. You know, like if if like if you can't get them playing the game within the first like thirty seconds of them walking up to the cabinet, like you, every second that ticks by, you risk losing them. You know, especially in like an arcade bar setting, because they can just walk over to the next game. Yep. You know exactly. I remember uh, we went to this convention in uh, las vegas and this one dude who is like an operator in california comes up to the game mashes like 15 buttons and he's like (laughs) nope and i was like what he's like not fast enough and then left that's all he said and i was like holy shit like we need to fix that you know yeah yeah because i mean he's and he's right you know like like so like to go back to that game crawl like you know like when when i was first talking about it i was like oh this thing's good to go you know like it's naive like it actually could use some just and one of the things in my mind is like an average crawl game lasts about 30 minutes that's fucking unheard of in an arcade you know like there's yeah. no arcade yeah, no game where you play the game for 30 minutes you know i understand that now you know so like if i were to talk to them again i'd be like well can you yeah <laughs> which is like way more work than what i was asking of them originally is like well can you cut this down to 15 minutes which you know involves like rebalancing everything in the game you know, like how fast you get the experience, like how much life you have, how often. I mean, like, you could just dumb it down to like four rounds instead of, you know, like you, you make you, it like a best out of five or something. 
Well, so in crawl, like it's it doesn't it doesn't work that way. Like you you level up and stuff. So like you they would have to speed the leveling up process. You know, it, it's just yeah. it's a whole rebalance. You know, and like and it just it starts to sink in. Like okay, like I I get it now. You know, like like It'd be you, a almost, you, almost, have, you almost have to start. Yeah, exactly. You almost have to start from scratch, thinking this is going to be an arcade game. You know, instead of like this is going to be an indie game in like an arcade throwback style like no you have to really go into it thinking like this is going to be in a cabinet in an establishment this is what we are developing it for from the start and like you 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 know you just have to have that mentality in your mind you know and that's why with this game jam like the only rule we have on it is like you are building a game for an arcade cabinet this is to be an arcade game you know uh so approach it like that (laughs) yeah like don't don't retrofit some other indie game you got you know, or something into it, like, 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 think about a fresh arcade game from the start, you know, and, and, and that means thinking about, you said, about like too, too, too slow, you know, or like takes me too long to get jumped in, you know, like, what do the controls look like, you know, and that's, you know, and like, to me, that's one of the other things about making arcade cabinets is like, man, you just have, like, you have so much more freedom in your game design. If like you're designing for an arcade cabinet and say a console, you know, like if you're making a game for Xbox, then like you're expecting everybody to play it on the same controller almost, you know, uh, that you, if like you look at a game like, uh, what's the, what's the paper boy, you know, with the bike handle with the button on it, you know, yeah. <laughs> like, like you, you have so much more interesting avenues to go down with like the, like uh, Tubin is a great example that each player gets five buttons on Tubin, yeah. for like directions, you know, like you could just play with controls so much you know, in an arcade game, you know, and like, it's trying to emphasize them, like, think about that, you know, like, think about the control panel, what will it be, you know, like, and, and, and try to like, get cool with it, because like, you can actually do more of the control panel on an arcade cabinet, because like, you know, the way you control your character in the game is just so much of the game, you know, and I think like a lot of games suffer from homogenization, because we're all using the same controllers, mm-hmm. you know, and like so joystick, like, two buttons, yep. yeah, yeah, that's exactly totally fair. And like, and if and if you're playing an arcade game, like you can, you can put a steering wheel on it. You know, you can have buttons with trackball. You can just have all buttons. You know, you can have. You know, I know twin stick games exist, but if somebody made a tri stick game, you know, yeah, like, what would that look like? You know? That'd be insane. <laughs> like, you know? Well, yeah, I mean, even I just spoke with uh, Amanda, and she made Sententable, and that's that's a fighting game that has a hundred buttons. Jesus Christ. Really? Yeah, they, Wonderville built her a cabinet for it. Wow, okay. So you should look into that one. Definitely. Yeah, I will look into that one. That one sounds great. <laughs> 100 <Yeah>. buttons. So <laughs> you have a, you have a 1 through 100 range from like short to, to fierce, basically? Is that, is that the Bas- idea? Basically, the way it works is like there's 50 buttons for each player. Um, you're face-to-face, and every single game, all the buttons reset, so there's no way to know exactly which oh button you're God. getting. So it's just a it massive is. button mash. Yep, her goal was to amazing. make you feel like you're a six-year-old playing a fighting game for the first time, and you have no that's idea what. Amazing, that's great. That, that, that's so counterintuitive. So, like, you know, for example, we're talking about that's so counterintuitive to what Street Fighter is now. Street Fighter plays like Street Fighter has gotten to the point where it's like it's about precision. You know, it's about exact inputs. You know, like like it's it like I almost feel like serious Street Fighter players who practice their combos and stuff are like the same kind of people that you see practicing their guitar riffs over and over again, mm-hmm. you know, where it's like, it's a series of inputs done really quickly over and over again so that the muscle memory is there so that you get exact results, 
every time, right? Yeah. And that what you just described to me is great because it's just completely like you have no idea what you're about to play. <laughs> so that's genius. Like, but I love stuff like that, you know. So and like, I, I don't. You couldn't make that game for PlayStation, you know. No, you, you couldn't. You couldn't make that. You know, I, don't, I don't have. A, I don't think I have a buttons on my keyboard here at my computer. I don't even know if I could play that on my computer. You, you, you know? can play it on your computer. You just need four USB keyboards. Okay. It's available. All right. All right. Well. I got two. Four. You need four. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, and then like you know, so but then like even beyond that, like if you look at Killer Queen, that that's it's a joystick and buttons. You know, like that's a pretty simple setup. But like the interesting thing is like, wow, it's it's five versus five. You know, yeah. and and it's this weird mix of like old school arcade Mario Brothers meets Joust meets like uh, an eSport almost. You know. Yeah. Like, and it's just like, where do you see that at, you know? And and then you have, like, games like Sky Cursor, which are just, like, direct throwbacks to, to, to something that, like, a person loved, you know, yeah. mm-hmm. back in the day. Like and then rated. you see, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah, exactly. And then you see, like, you know, Black Emperor, which is, like, a really simple one-player game with, like, an interesting control scheme to it. And then, more importantly, like, you know, just, like, interesting stage level in that game design in that game you know like so i just i don't know like i think like like you saw vinyl resurgence in movies you know and like recorded media and stuff like that like i think there's like definitely like this uh generational appreciation for things older but at the same time like like how can we mess with this and make it new again and i think you're starting to see that come around with like arcades you know and I mean, I was saying this before the interview, like that, that I think it's important because like, I think the arcade is a space that like is especially, especially after COVID-19 and everybody being in quarantine, like, and playing video games by themselves at home for so long. It's just such a refreshing type of space. If you're into games, you know, it's, yeah, I, I would brag about this a lot. Where like, because like in in the fighting game community or the FGC for short, like there's a lot of toxic stuff that goes on. Like you know, like people losing matches online and just saying terrible things to each other. You know, and I never had to deal with that in my space. And like the six years I've done it, I I've maybe had to kick one person out for that kind of behavior, and it's because they were saying that kind of stuff online on my page. You know, but they weren't doing it in space. And I just, you know, I think like, like many other things in the world today, like, like playing games, if you're into games and video games and like, get out of the house and like, people should be, there should be a space in your town where like, you can go and play these games with people in real life, preferably over just online. Yeah. You know, and I think that's, I think that's coming back. I think people are starting to realize that you know so yeah i mean people want to be able to uh be there and actually talk to their opponent and their competitor and mm-hmm. get everything going and along those lines um you said you're upgrading your space so you're going from yeah. a small space to a large space yeah i want to know what your plans look like for that new space and how they differ from the previous sea cave okay so i the first I mean, I was talking about this before the interview, so I guess I'll start from the beginning. The first CK was literally a art studio space that I rented out with two friends. Uh, one of them recorded his first record in there. Uh, his name's Benny B E N N I. He does synth music. I highly suggest checking him out. 
if you're looking for somebody to do a soundtrack for your game, he's also a great option. Yeah, I'd love to, <laughs> I'd love to talk to him. Yeah, and uh, he uh, he was he was recording his album, and I was building my first arcade chemist in that first space, and it was just literally once or twice a month Facebook event, knock on the door, I'll walk you down the hallway, let you in, you know, game night, right? Then that building got bought out by a guy who was going to open a brew pub or something. And he evicted all the artists <laughs> and I had to find a new place. And I found a place that had a door on the street and it was a smaller space, but it had a door on the street. But I was, I was saying earlier, it, it, the door was four feet off the ground and didn't have stairs. <laughs> so you had to like walk in, a, you had to go up a step ladder to get into the place. And I was in there for about a year. And then I just, you know, my roommates moved out because they couldn't afford it anymore. And I rented out my cabinets to Matt, who was my first business partner. This is how I met him, uh, trying to make some money to pay for the space. And that didn't work out. And then, but we, I had explained the idea for the place as a business to him and he really liked it. And then one day doing construction work, I walked by this space and uh, told Matt, it's just a perfect spot. It was a commercial space with like a door in the street that you didn't have to go through a step ladder on. And it was across the street from this popular bar. And kind of called up Matt and I was like, Hey, this is the spot. Like we need to call this number and see if we can get this space. And Matt wrote up a business plan and we went to the landlord's meeting with this business plan. And this guy, this guy super rich, like owns a, owns a real estate company or uh, an insurance company, you know, and like mm-hmm. I walk into this guy's building. I'm just like, Oh, we're screwed. You know, <laughs> we laid yeah. the plan down. And it's just like, it was like, it was like a scene on a shark tank or something. Like, you just like, I'm going to, I got these guys, they want to drop in $200,000 on this thing, but I liked your idea. I'm going to go with you, you know? And, like, yeah. and we were just both sort of like, okay, what the, did that just fucking happen? You know? <laughs> and like, we did it for a year and then, you know, that space. And then we get the word from our landlord that, uh, this guy, Billy, who owns Sparkadia, the other bar, arcade bar in town. Telling you about is basically like they took our lease, <laughs> and wow, yeah, and they're putting a sushi restaurant in there or something, you know. So wow. suddenly, like we're we're out on the street and we don't know what the fuck to do, you know. And we're we're, we're frantically trying to find another spot to keep it going. And then, uh, uh, so I found this building that I'd been like eyeing out for a second, uh, and this 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 couple from up North had bought it and a bunch of other properties next to it with this idea of putting a hotel complex in there. And the city council shot the idea of the hotel down and, um, basically like in return, uh, they were, they basically started asking a neighborhood what they'd like to see in the space instead. And somebody told them about us. Yeah. And so we went and saw the space and, really hit it off with the landlords and they decided to, you know, give the space to us. And so we've been in that space now for a year, building it out and doing sort of like kind of our speakeasy soft opening things, you know, and, mm-hmm. you know, come around the gate in the back paper still in the windows, but you can come in here and hang out and play <laughs> games kind of thing. And, and like we're, and now like, and then we're, we're, we're doing all right. And then COVID happened Oof. You know, yeah. and then we got hit with a hurricane here this summer too. And it's just been kind of hectic, but like somehow amazingly enough, like we're like one month away from like being done, done. 
you know, and yeah. that, yeah, I couldn't tell you how I got here. Honestly, at this point, it's just like, I'll, I'll write a book about it in like four months after being open or something when I got the time. But yeah. yeah, my, my life turned into the movie dodgeball for like a good second there. Cool. <laughs> Glo- awesome. Globo, Ar- Globo arcade. Like, you know, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, but yeah, well, so it was a strange trip. Yeah. I've, I'm sure. I mean, just from the stories you've told us, it, it definitely sounds like quite a bit happened. So, um, we really appreciate you coming on here. Before we yeah. wrap everything up, Judah, I want you to shout out your guys' social media so people can find you. Yeah, so our best place would be on uh, Instagram, and it's c.cave. Uh, also, ccavearcade.com, www. And if, I mean, it's going to be mostly local people as of right now, but if anybody's out there and wants to give us a hand on this game jam, uh I can send you guys a picture of the flyer here on Discord after we're done with this. But it's uh, ccabgamejam.com, www.seacabgamejam.com is where, like, all the info and the signups and stuff are be for that. So, And uh, the guy running is a guy named Calder. He's a great guy. Uh, and, yeah. Awesome. Well, thanks again, Judah. We really appreciate it. Um, To anybody that's listening to the show, if you enjoy what we're doing here, don't forget to subscribe, like, and comment, um, and follow us for the next episode. We release episodes every single Friday, um, and you can definitely check the episodes that we've done before. Um, But until next Friday, peace.